Anyway, so what we're going to look at this week in Judges 17, uh, so the last five chapters are basically, um, we're, they're done talking about the judges and the stories about them. The way the book of Judges is kind of laid out, um, the first, it's not completely chronological. So the first uh, two or three chapters, I think the first two chapters, is kind of giving an overview of the period of the judges and just kind of showing uh, basically uh, a synopsis of 400 years of their history, roughly, four or 500 years. And then when you get to chapter three, it goes and it starts giving specific stories of different judges that God raised up to deliver Israel from their enemies. But then in these last chapters, uh, I don't know that we're necessarily picking up where we left off chronologically. Um, I think basically what we're seeing here in these stories are really just great sins that was committed in Israel. Because this is not how things were supposed to be going. And again, this is just my opinion. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. But when I read the book of Judges, in fact, when I read from Joshua through Second Chronicles, I feel like I'm reading a history that was put together showing why Israel was going into captivity and why they were being judged. That's what it just it seems like that's what you're looking at um, when you just kind of look at the big picture. And and so I believe these final chapters are just showing random stories of horrible things that happened. During the time of Joshua, it's just showing wonderful things. God's given victory. It's letting Israel know, hey, this is how you started. God did this miracle of bringing you out of the land of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea for you. God fed you with man in the wilderness. God gave you this good land. While you obeyed God, he blessed you. He gave you peace. You conquered all your enemies. In the book of Joshua, you really only have one small defeat in the story of Achan when he took the accursed thing. Like 30-some men died as a result of that. And it was a big deal. And, but then they got right. They went, defeated Jericho, or they defeated all their enemies after that. But then when we get into the book of Judges, we see what happens when they forget God. And we see God giving them chance after chance after chance. And then we see at the end of the period of Judges, uh, we go into 1 Samuel. And you could say that Samuel and his sons were probably the final judges. Uh, and, and some people maybe count Eli as a judge as well. But then uh, we, have, we enter into the period of the kings. And then when you're looking at that history, you're seeing a system where Israel would do good as long as the kings did good. And the truth is, the system of judges, this would be the best system. This would be the best way to kind of have government and everything, but it would only work if you have people who love the Lord and are obedient to Him. The system of judges would be a fantastic system if you have a godly people. But Israel did not have a godly people. They forgot the Lord, and they just did that which was right in their own eyes, and then that system's not going to work. So they ended up uh, going into the era of the kings, and Israel... We see them constantly suffering because of bad kings. And, but again, they asked for it. They really asked for it. And so here when we get to chapter 17, chapter 17 and 18 are really one story. We're just going to focus on the details of chapter 17. It's a pretty short chapter. But when you read this story, you might not think of this as one of the more horrible stories. It's not like Judges 19. We're going to see Judges 19. But that's a really uh, terrible story, what took place there. But this might not even seem like that big of a deal, but it, it is a big deal, what we see happen here. And it shows the heart of the people of Israel. It just shows how backwards they had already gotten and how far away from the things of God. And so as we go through the story, I want to explain what was so wrong with what was going on here and what was happening. But then too, I want to kind of make a modern day life application for us that we need to make sure we get. So let's look at verse 1. It says, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursed, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me, and I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. 
And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother and his mother took the 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image. And they were in the house of Micah. Now, it's interesting the way this story starts out because it basically just starts out the story, Micah confessing to his mom, hey, you know that silver that was stolen that you cursed? And she probably cursed it. You know, that way whoever used that silver, all kinds of bad things would happen to him. And he confesses to his mom, mom, I'm the one that stole the silver. And so she obviously doesn't want her son to be cursed. So she goes and she basically blesses her son, tells her it's okay. Micah gives it back. But then she says, you know what? I'm going to give it back to you. You can have it. I had already, I had blessed it because I had wanted that silver for you so you could make a molten image. Now, this doesn't look like, you know, sinister people or anything, but can anybody think of a verse in the law that should, they should have been thinking about? How about, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images? That was a big deal. They're not supposed to do that. They should have remembered what happened with the golden calf. They should have remembered the Ten Commandments. But no, for whatever reason, they decided they were going to make a graven image. This is a clear violation of the Second Commandment. They were not supposed to have idols in the land of Israel. You say, well, this is just one guy. Well, you know what? Israel was supposed to enforce these things. Go read the law. And they were the, the, the law was not something that was just given for them to take personally. No, this was for them as a nation. And we see Israel constantly getting in trouble because of the sins of one man. For example, we mentioned Achan. Achan, he, it was just that one guy that sinned, but God said, you've got to put that evil away from among you because evil spreads. Wickedness spreads. It, sin never just stays in one house. People always say, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, they used, one of the excuses they used to help make the, let the queers come out of the closet People just started saying, you know what? Who cares what people do in the privacy of their own home? You know, it's not really up to us. No, it's wickedness. It's an abomination. It's evil. It does matter to society. And, you know, because we allowed that kind of thing to just even take place in our country, we've seen where it's spread now to where now you got drag queens in public libraries. You know, you've got homosexuals teaching in public schools rainbow flags in public schools. I mean, they're promoting all of this degeneracy everywhere, even in our, our own government. You know, our own president, you know, celebrates this type of perversion. And that's what happens. We have the AIDS epi epidemic that we do today. We have the STDs that we do today because we did not put evil away from among us. And it's only going to get worse. And so you might say these are little things no, these are big things. Idolatry was a big thing. This one guy making an idol. This was a real problem. And it was going to have a negative effect on the entire nation if, if they don't deal with it. And so verse 5 said, And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Okay, now, first off, Micah, Micah, not only did he violate the second commandment of making a graven image, but these are obviously two. This is a violation of the first commandment of thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is a really big deal. And also, he sets up his son to be a priest. That also is completely out of line. Okay? The only the Levites were to be priests. God chose the Levites to be priests. But you know what? This guy, he just decides, you know what? I need a priest. You know, I, and so I, if I'm going to have a priest, you know, I don't have any Levites. You know what? I'll just consecrate my son. He had no authority to do that. Absolutely no authority to do that. And he also made, it mentions him making an ephod and a teraphim. He's making all of these things to make it look like he's a priest too. And again, and, I, and I'll say more about this in a little bit. We hear some of these things that we might not think of it as that big of a deal because we're kind of used to this too. Look at all the fake preachers that we have. 
all over our country today. But you know, a lot of people, they don't care if somebody, one, if they don't meet the qualifications of a bishop. They don't care whether or not someone has been properly ordained or anything like that. They don't care if they were actually sent out of another church. I mean, just any circus clown can just come along and say, I'm a preacher and I'm a pastor and I'm starting a church and people just go along with it and they don't care. That's not the way it works. Even in the New Testament era, that's not how these things work. But that kind of thing was even more strict back then. It was supposed to only be of the Levites. And this guy has no regard for the Word of God. No regard for the fact that he is of Israel and only the Levites would be the priest. He just decided, I want a priest. I'm going to have my son be a priest. It makes an ephod and everything. This is not okay. Exodus 28, 2 says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out that he die not. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it, like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, and upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, without spending a whole lot of time going through a lot of scriptures, one thing we need to talk about, and I think it's hard for us to grasp how serious this type of thing was because of the fact under the new covenant, we understand we don't really have holy things like they did back then anymore. We don't have, you know, these like items and artifacts, which the New Testament refers to as like elements and rudiments. Uh, we, we don't have those things anymore because we understand now all those things were a picture of Jesus Christ. We understand now because we have the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, who has cleansed us, that, you know, we, we have that imputed righteousness. We're holy, sanctified right now as we are. Even though, you know, we came into the sanctuary and none of us probably washed our feet before we came in. You know, we didn't do any of those ceremonial things because the Holy Spirit covers all that. But understand, before all of that was revealed, all of these things that they did pointed to Jesus Christ and the holiness of Christ and they were to be treated with great reverence and great respect. And they were to be done exactly the way God said. We see when Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire. What does that mean? It just means they didn't follow the process that was laid on the Bible. They did it their own way. Fire came out of the altar and consumed them. We see many of those holy things they had. The oils, the incense. There were certain things that they were forbidden as a people to copy those things. No, these things that were holy, that were sanctified and set apart, they were only to be used for the sacrifices, for the things of God, and trying to reproduce those things, trying to make counterfeits of those things. It was a major no-no. It was the kind of thing that God would kill people for. And so here, you've got this man, Micah, who is basically making graven images, which was forbidden, but also claiming to be of God, still claiming to be of Israel, one of the people of God. And then he just decides he's going to make his own son a priest. This is a really big deal. And a lot of people, too, they will often you know, ask, and, and this is very blasphemous, and a lot of people often bring up, too, when we talk about the temple. And it's like, you know, how can the Antichrist commit the abomination of desolation in the new temple, because the new temple is not going to be the house of God. It's not going to be holy. And I agree with all that, but the fact that they are calling it the temple of God. Because look at what it, exactly what it says in Second Thessalonians 2, 3. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, 
For that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Okay? So again, declaring yourself to be God or above God, very blasphemous. Okay? What, you know, a man by himself is not an abomination, but when that man declares himself to be God or to be Jesus or the Messiah, he becomes an abomination immediately. Because that is very blasphemous. And then notice it says, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God. So what he's the reason what the Antichrist is going to be doing is so bad is not because he's defiling some special building, but because he's pretending to be God sitting in the temple of God. So the fact that they are going to build a temple, call it the temple of God, and he is going to declare himself to be God in there, showing himself that he is God, that is super wicked. That is an abomination. That is, uh, I mean, that is as blasphemous as you can get. And so, um, it's not going to be so much that he's defiling this holy place. It's about what he's claiming. And what this guy was doing back then obviously wasn't as bad as the Antichrist building a fake temple and declaring himself to be God. But it's the same type of thing. The fact that this guy is calling his son a priest of God when he was not, that was a very serious thing. The fact that he made an ephod when only the, the ephod was only supposed to be worn by the priest of God, that was very blasphemous. And it would, it would be a very blasphemous thing for us to take, even take some things today and declare those to be something of God, you know, something that belongs to God. It would be, you know, to take some blood and declare it to be the blood of Christ or something like that. Something that's holy. That would be wrong to do that. So what this is really bad what's going on here. And so uh, it, it's always been and it always will be a major sin to take something that is holy, something that has been set apart and to make your own version of it, especially when you're calling it the same thing. And that is why too we are so against what they call the nation of Israel today. Because it is not a nation sanctioned by God. It is not something that God set up. What they have over there, I'm telling you, more and more, I think it is It is just uh, the forerunner to the kingdom of the beast. In Revelation 17, verse 3, uh, it says... So he carried me in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And I believe this is referring to the kingdom of the beast. But notice how it has the names of blasphemy. Well, what would those names be? Well, if it's going to be blasphemy, I think it's going to be good names. It's going to have the names of God on it. And so to take a name like Israel that I believe too is another, you know, is a name that was you know, picked on purpose. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. God called His people the nation of Israel. And when that nation as a whole rejected Christ and rejected the Messiah, God let it be destroyed. And we do believe there is a spiritual Israel, but what we have today is we have a counterfeit of that. A counterfeit that was not of God. And it is very blasphemous for a, a people to come along and to call themselves after that name. It is, it is very wrong. And so you do. People act like you're terrible when you say, you know, how could you not support Israel? They're God's chosen people. That's not the same Israel that we see in the Bible. So for people to get mad at me for not supporting fake Israel would be like somebody getting mad at me for not supporting Tyler Doka, who's claiming to be Jesus. He's fake Jesus. Okay. How could you not support Jesus? He's not Jesus. Just because he's calling himself that doesn't mean that he is. So by that same logic, we should support the Antichrist. He's calling himself God. He's calling himself the Messiah. How could you not support the Messiah? And how could you not support the Messiah? How could you not support Israel? How could you not support the people of God? The problem is, these people that they're wanting us to support are not Israel. They're not the people of God. They're just calling themselves that. And it causes confusion, doesn't it? And you do. You have a lot of well-meaning Christians when they hear about Israel today, 
It's all over the Middle East. Which way is Israel from here? I don't even know. I keep pointing over that way. But wherever it is, just understand that, no, this is not the same people that we're seeing in the Bible. This is not the same nation. It was destroyed. And so, this, this act of calling something holy when it is not that thing, when it does not meet the requirements, when it does not meet the qualifications, it is a very serious thing. And look at all the junk we're seeing in our world today because of that very thing. We have the Catholic Church where you have the Pope calling himself the Vicar of Christ. I mean, where people are calling him Father, the Holy Father. Imagine calling that. What, what he is claiming to be. You have priests claiming to be a mediator. When the Bible is very clear, there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. But yet, look at the names these people give themselves. And a lot of people, when they do, they, they kind of cringe when they hear us being critical of the Pope. They cringe when they hear us being critical of the priests because these guys have put upon themselves holy names. They've given themselves holy titles. They, have, they are claiming to be doing holy things, absolving people of sin. They're claiming to be doing baptisms. They're claiming to be you know, giving the Lord's Supper and doing all these holy things. But folks, it's fake. It's fake and it's deceptive and it's leading people to hell. And we should always stand strongly against that kind of thing. We should have nothing to do with that kind of thing. And so just like I don't support, I don't support priests, that sounds terrible. It's fine because they're fake priests. I don't support Israel. That sounds terrible. That's okay because it's fake Israel. And there are. There's, Satan always has counterfeits. There's always counterfeits. He's always used that kind of thing. And this priest was not someone that should have been respected. He's somebody that should have been probably put to death for what he is, for what he's doing, pretending to be a priest. But let me say it. While I'm saying a lot of really harsh stuff right now against Micah, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let me, let me just give you an opinion about him. I actually think Micah was a sincere, well-meaning individual. And let me tell you, there's a lot of sincere, well-meaning individual getting fooled by fakes. They're getting fooled by foolishness. And there are real consequences. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but keep that in mind. I think Micah was making an attempt to do right, but man, he was doing everything wrong. But I, I do think there was some sincerity there. So, again, this, this act of claiming something is holy or, ta- you know, or claiming something is holy when it's not, it's a very serious thing. So, judges, uh, so verse 6, So after it's told us all these things that he did about making his son to be a priest, you know, the people in Israel were probably thinking, you know, how, when this was written, how could they have done something like this? Well, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We often see that after we see something really terrible happen. It mentioned how there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Just showing, because you, when you read this story, you should say, how could that have happened? Well, here's why. There was no king. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And it's, not, it's never pretty. It's never been pretty when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. People think that's the definition of freedom when we can all do that which is right in our own eyes. That would be wonderful if we, had, if we were good people, if we were godly people. But when you uh, have a depraved world uh, full of sinners, it's a terrible thing. It's a nightmare. And so, um, Deuteronomy 13.6 Deuteronomy 13.6 says, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or the, thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even on the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall then I pity him, Neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, 
And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. And folks, that passage makes people cringe. You want to hear, you know, it's, it's, it's awful listening to a lot of these trendies and stuff try to just explain away this verse. That sounds really harsh, but let me ask you, what's worse? Dealing with one guy who violates God's law or how about thousands of people dying as a result of being in bondage or just unchecked sin? That's because read the horrible stories throughout the Old Testament of just thousands dying from foreign armies and from all kinds of you know, diseases and pestilences and all kinds of judgment. It was a bloodbath because they would not do these things. And I get it. That would be tough to do that kind of thing. But the results of unchecked sin are always so much worse. People, they do. They get so mad. Even Christians. I heard, I heard a preacher the other day talking about how he doesn't believe that new IFB preachers are saved because they believe Leviticus 20.13. And I just thought, and this guy's like, he's right on the gospel too. And I'm like, What? You know, usually when people claim that, it's because of, you know, they have, you know, they'll say it's because of what they believe on repentance and stuff. But it's like, really? Because of Leviticus 20.13? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, what do you think we ought to do with these people? And you know what? Look at what has happened as a result of doing nothing with these people. So it's like, you'd rather just see hundreds and thousands die of AIDS than one person die because of an abomination. Wow, you're so merciful. You're so loving. You know, what, what twisted thinking that is. People don't think these things through. They really don't think these things through. It's not that difficult. It, it really isn't. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, you're okay. You know, the fact that we haven't dealt with these things, we actually are living in a country now where many states are p- trying to pass laws to make it easy to mutilate children. To, I mean, that's what we're doing in this country. Our president, our, our governor is making sure everyone knows our state is a safe haven. If you want to come and butcher your baby and if you want to just mutilate your children and permanently alter their bodies with surgeries, hormone treatments. I mean, folks, this is what's going on in our country. This is, this is the world we're living in right now. And you know why we're dealing with this kind of stuff right now? You want to know why we have so many young people and, and young adults committing suicide? Because they, they can't, they're so messed up from all the things that they've done to themselves? Because people got squeamish about Leviticus 2013. They thought, that's too harsh. That's too mean. Well, you know what? I hope you're liking what you're seeing now. And I, you know, and I hope, you know, and, and I don't know how you can say Leviticus 2013, that's too harsh, that's too cruel. But yet, this is all wonderful. No, this is sick. This is twisted. What's going on in our country? These people make no sense at all. It's like, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read these stories? Again, when you, when you read these stories, uh, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. We're going to see what happens in Judges 19 later. This is the kind of thing that happens in a nation when they have such little regard for God's law that people are just making their own priests. And I, I know a lot of people say, I don't see why it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Many people died as a result of these sins. God gave these laws for a reason. God wanted, God gave them these laws because he loved them. God gave them these laws so they would survive as a nation. And yet they disregarded those things because of their wickedness and they suffered greatly for it. And we have Christians today who supposedly have read through their Bible several times, who will get offended that somebody thinks, hey, I think God's law, that he gave his civil law in the Old Testament would be good for our country. How terrible. You, you must not even be saved. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. That's really, really messed up stuff. But I need to move on. But this, this kind of thing just makes me mad. Because, uh, you know, I, to me, the stuff that we've just seen in the last year with the trannies has proven we were right all along about Leviticus 2013. It's proven, we were, it's proven 
my dad was right. Was preaching this stuff before, you know, before I was ever preaching this kind of thing. The previous generations preached this kind of stuff. They were right. But because people got scared because the videos going viral and social changes and things like that, everybody's, a lot of people back down on this. A lot of people back down. And now you got queer little sissies standing behind pulpits, scared to death of this kind of thing, declaring preachers who do preach the truth about it unsaved. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And you know what? I, I refuse to change with the times. Refuse. Because uh, I don't want to live in this kind of world that we see. I don't want to live in this kind of world that we're seeing right now. It's, it's a mess. So verse 7. Uh, it says, uh, wait, no, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But yeah, so again, with Micah, I do believe that we see some evidence that this was probably a nice guy who was just extremely misguided. Because we're going to see, he wanted favor from the Lord. Now, when you look at the story, it's like, how could, how could a guy making idols, making his son a priest, want favor from the Lord? I think he was very misguided. Because, you know, one might say, you know, again, no decent person would make an idol and make a son a priest. Well, there's actually a couple possibilities. Because maybe he didn't really know because the law wasn't being read in the land like it was supposed to. Maybe he was ignorant about God's law. That's very possible when you look at how things were during this time. Another thing that could happen too, maybe he did know the law. So he says, well, surely he knew the Ten Commandments. Okay, well, maybe he knew the Ten Commandments, but maybe because nobody was enforcing those laws or emphasizing those laws, he didn't think it was a big deal. Because think about this. Look at how most people in our country today know that fornication is wrong. Or let me, I guess I should say, you know, and uh, fooling around outside of marriage is wrong. But did you know a lot of people that go to churches, they don't even know what the word fornication means. And even though they know technically you're not supposed to do that, it's socially acceptable even in a lot of churches today. So the thing is, even though people know, well, yeah, you're not really supposed to do that, people are doing it and they don't feel bad about it. You know why? Because preachers aren't calling it out. Other Christians aren't calling it out. They're not calling it a sin. They're not calling it wickedness. And so, as a, because these things aren't emphasized like they're supposed to, people are just like, oh, well, no big deal. Yeah, we're all sinners. Because isn't that what we do whenever somebody gets nailed for sin? Oh, yeah, we're all sinners. Yeah, but there are some things that shouldn't be once named among you to become a saint. And we need to make a big deal about these things. And so, you know, Micah, he might have known the second commandment, but nobody cared. It's kind of like speeding, okay? We don't think anything of driving 56 and a 55 because... How often do you get a ticket for that? And so because we don't make a big deal about it, we're not even worried about it. I mean, we can all drive one over and have a policeman right behind us, and we're not worried a bit. It's just one over. And, and you know, and I think they ought to give us a little leniency when it comes to that. But at the same, but y'all get the point. These laws that God made, they weren't meant to be optional. They were supposed to be enforced. And so because they just didn't do any of that, Micah... He just probably thought, no big deal. No big deal. And there are, there, this is what's going on in Christianity today. That where most people who are around church, they know certain things are technically wrong and unbiblical, but they're so common, they don't feel bad about doing it. And there are, there's also many nice people in our country who probably would never say anything negative about Jesus who are committing some really bad sins. That's probably, and I think that's what's going on here. I don't think Micah would say anything negative against God. He wanted favor with God. But what he was doing was offensive to God. Making an idol? You don't do that kind of thing. Disregarding God's law and just making your own son a priest? And so notice in verse 7, and it's like he knew it was wrong. He knew technically this isn't how it's supposed to be, but he did it anyway. And then in verse 7 it says, And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. Now, I'm not 100% sure from this verse if he's saying this guy was a Levite who was from the tribe of Judah or if he was just saying he was a Levite for the family of Judah. Verse 9 
seem, uh, we'll get there in a little bit, seems to indicate that he was a Levite for the family of Judah. So I, I, I'm, I'm not positive about that. But if he was from the family of Judah, he shouldn't have been a Levite. But, because only, Le, you know, people from the tribe of Levi were supposed to be Levites. But it, it could have just been, it was for the family of Judah. I'm not 100% sure. But, and while a Levite is not the same as a pastor, just understand that even today, we don't have the right to just make whoever we want a pastor. And I'm not going to talk about the qualifications of a bishop. But again, it is a huge deal that women are pastoring churches. That is very forbidden. There are some, there are, there's a few qualifications where I can see where it's like not a novice. Okay, you know, how do we judge that? And I do believe people should judge that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, children in subjection with all gravity. So how much trouble can a preacher's kid get into before the guy is disqualified? You know, there are areas where you have to look at some things and judge. But you have some areas where it's really clear. Husband of one wife, really clear. That, that's, really, that's really clear. So, um, again, women preachers, that should not be tolerated at all. And, but yet, it's common today. And, and I'm a terrible person for saying that shouldn't be tolerated. But I got the Bible on my side. And so uh, we were right about this, just like we were right about Leviticus 20.13. But verse 8 says, And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn, where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim in the house of Micah as he journeyed. And, um, and, and Micah said unto him, Whence cometh thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Now, I believe Micah was sincere when he said this. So it was like he knew... Well, it's supposed to be a Levite that's a priest. We don't have any, so I'm just going to make my son a priest. That was very misguided. Okay? It was, it was, he was very misguided for sure. But now, when this Levite comes along, he's like, man, the Lord is definitely going to be pleased with me now because I've got a Levite. But no, that God is not going to be pleased because the Levites, during this time, and I don't know if Bethlehem, Judah, if that's where the tabernacle was at that time. Uh, I, I, you know, Jerusalem hasn't been taken by David yet. God hasn't placed his name there yet. We're not to that point in their history. But the thing is, they weren't to just be able to do these holy things wherever they wanted. These things are supposed to be done in the tabernacle. And so this guy, you know, he hires them. He buys them off. Okay? And let me tell you something about preachers that can be bought off. Okay? They're always going to go to the highest bidder. And I love what happens in the next chapter. Another group comes along and they basically buy him off and he leaves Micah high and dry. That's what the hirelings do. That is, you can count on the hirelings doing that every time. We'll talk about that next week. But again, I do think what, when we see this passage right here that Micah in his own goofed up, misguided way thought he was doing a good thing. And so if I may in just these final minutes kind of just preach a little message to you from this. Something we can learn from this story is one, good intentions do not make wrong right. Good intentions do not make wrong right. There are many people out there today who truly want to go to heaven, but if they are deceived into following after a false gospel, they will not go to heaven. And a lot of people have this attitude, as long as they're sincere. No, no, that's not okay. Okay, Billy Graham and uh, was it Robert Schuller or whatever they were talking about, you know, people getting saved from other religions who don't know Jesus. No, that's garbage. You know what? I'll bet there's some sincere Buddhists out there. I'll bet there's some sincere Muslims out there. I'll bet there's a lot. I, I, I know I've met people that I am convinced were sincere Catholics that in the best way they knew how loved Jesus. But 
They were also trusting in the Catholic Church. They were also trusting in their own works to get them to heaven. And, and, and I hate it. As nice as some of those people are. I've talked to sweet old ladies that were, I am 100% sure, were on their way to hell because they were trusting in their works to get them to heaven. And they were sweet old ladies that were sincere. And, but folks, sincerity, that's not going to do it for you. You have to put your faith in the right thing. And so Micah, he's sincere in what he's doing, but what he's doing is very wrong. And this was a great sin. This was a sin that should not have been in Israel. So uh, this is, you know, the truth is our flesh makes it very easy for us to be deceived. And I've preached on this before. It is a sin to be deceived. God's given us his word for a reason. God's given us the Holy Spirit. He reproves the world of sin. If we reject those things, if we deny those things, if we refuse to listen, if we're just too lazy to pay attention, too lazy to read, we're going to suffer for those things. Deception is not an excuse. Okay? If deception was an excuse, God wouldn't have cursed Eve, who was deceived by the serpent. But you know what? God did curse Eve, even though she was deceived. You know, Jude, And this is why false prophets are the worst of the worst. People who are out there doing the deceiving, they are the worst of the worst. Yeah, they're victims. They're accountable. They're going to go to hell. They're wicked too. But the ones who deceive them, they're, they're evil on another level. And the Bible is very harsh against false prophets. Jude 1.17 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know the kind of preachers we need? We need, we need preachers who have compassion, who save with fear, who are pulling people out of the fire because there are there's people out there with good intentions doing the best they can, but they are on their way to hell. And we need people, we need we need men and women who love others enough that they will risk their own reputation and they will go out and they will tell people uncomfortable truths. We need people who have enough compassion that they will. They're going to risk when they go out there making that sweet old Catholic lady think you're terrible because you say something against the Catholic Church. You know, we've, I, I've risked loss of a lot of reputation because of what I preach about the homos and stuff. But you know what? Somebody has to do the right thing. We can't just let everybody pay, you buy all of us off and we just go along with whatever the narrative is. No, somebody has to actually tell the truth about these things because people are headed for hell and we've got to pull them out of the fire. But... Those false prophets, they, they can all be bought. And the problem is, while they're getting all this financial gain, while they're getting all these earthly rewards for the things they're doing, people are dying and going to hell as a result of it. And we need people to have compassion and actually make a difference. So false prophets, sellout preachers, they are the worst because the damage they do is eternal damage. It's damage to people's souls. And that, that's why they are the worst of the worst. And so this Levite, you know, he should have told Micah, no, I can't do that. Hey, I see what you're trying to do here, but this isn't what God ordained. If you want the things, the works of the priest done on your behalf, if you've got sacrifice you need to give, you need to take the time to go to the tabernacle. You need to take the time to go to the Levites and do what God said. But no, you know what this Levite did? He made merchandise of him. Ten shekels of silver, garment, a place to stay. Count me in. But then later, when a whole tribe comes to him, let's see, one guy or whole tribe. You know, he, he goes with the whole tribe. So that's exactly what these people do. Second Peter 2 one says, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there should be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And that part, if it was, that was all that would happen, that would be no big deal. If they just destroyed themselves as a result of what they do. But no, it says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. The problem with these false prophets is many people follow them. Many people go along with what they say. But understand too, you are responsible for who you listen to. You're, I get it. False prophets, worse of the worst. Satan, worse than Eve. But Eve still got cursed. Eve still suffered. False prophets are worse than their followers. But their followers will still suffer. Their followers will still go to hell unless somebody gets the truth. We are responsible for who we listen to. In 1 Kings chapter 13, we're not going to take time to read, read the story, but remember the story of the young prophet who listened to an old prophet who lied to him. The old prophet lied. That was wrong. But you know what? The young prophet still died because he disobeyed God. Well, he didn't mean to. Listen, we are responsible for who we listen to. We are responsible to follow the Word of God and not let people influence us away from it. And there will always be people trying to lead you away from the clear teachings of God. And so, we also need to remember that while many people are caught up in wicked, false religions, there are many who haven't had the privilege of someone telling them the truth. Listen, you know, we were just uh, you know, out in Muslim country. Okay? Islam, without a doubt, is an extremely wicked religion. Without a doubt, the followers of Islam are following a wicked religion, making them wicked as well. But at the same time, too, it doesn't mean some of them aren't sincere. Most of these people have probably never heard the truth before. And again, I, I don't think we ought to just have this attitude. I just, you know, let them all go to hell because it's a wicked religion. No, everybody deserves a chance. And I hate, I hate, the, I hate thinking about Muslims, you know, in Afghanistan that have never heard the gospel. That's a shame. But you know, it's a bigger shame if it's ones in our own state, if we have them in our own cities. We're in, in the shadow of churches. What a, real, what a real shame that is. And listen, even though a lot of these people, because of the wicked they're following, probably won't get saved, it doesn't change the fact we ought to have compassion and try to give them that opportunity. That's very important that we do that. I get it. The Jewish religion is an anti-Christ religion. It is a blasphemous religion against Jesus Christ. But it doesn't change the fact that some of the people in Judaism, that's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever been taught. Nobody has ever lovingly came to a lot of these people and given them the truth. And you know what? We ought to, we ought to want to make sure that there's no Jews in this area that we haven't at least tried to give the gospel to. And if they shut us down, they shut us down. It's on them at that point. So they're responsible for who they listen to. But you know what? I don't want them to stand before God someday having never had somebody try to tell them the truth. And you know what? We, we've got to make sure we do our best to get that done. We don't want to have a Jonah attitude. In Jonah 4.10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Jonah was mad that God didn't destroy Nineveh. Nineveh was a very, very, very wicked city. And Jonah wanted it destroyed. And you know what? It deserved to be destroyed. But notice what God said, even about this wicked city. He said, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? 120,000 that, I, I believe what he's saying here, were kind of in a state of innocence. They're in a state of innocence. These are the people that we're trying to reach in a lot of these places. I get it. There's a lot of reprobates out there. There's a lot of people. You know, the, the one Muslim that I talked to, he was an older one. He's preaching at me. Listen, with, without a doubt, that guy is probably beyond the hope of salvation. The stuff that he was saying, just the way he scoffed and just got angry at the mention of a blood sacrifice, 
I mean, that something's very wrong with that kind of thing. You know, a guy who talks about, you know, God being all merciful and forgiving and all that, but then just when you start talking about justice and, you know, how the wages of sin is death and no, Jesus couldn't. That, I mean, the, the stuff he was saying was so bad, it was so blasphemous. Without a doubt, he probably crossed the line. But you know what? There was a young Muslim guy, uh, you know, probably a teenager, maybe 18, 19 years old, standing there working on some stuff in the house while we're talking to him. You know, that guy, this guy we were talking to, he had heard the story of Jesus Christ. He had heard about the blood atonement and he scoffed at that. He hated that. But you know, this young man, I, might have been the first time he ever heard that before. I don't know. And, that, and that's why, you know, we don't just write off entire communities and entire groups and entire races and entire religions because there's always within there a people who are in a state of innocence or ignorance, and we ought to do what we can to shine a light to those people. And we might not see immediate results on those things, but God said, should not I spare them? Shouldn't I, shouldn't, you know, Jonah, shouldn't you be glad that some of these people are going to get a chance? And, and, and the fact, too, that as a, as a city, they repented, too. Jonah should have been glad about this, but he wasn't. We don't want, we don't want to just immediately write off everyone who identifies with a certain religion or a certain doctrine. I think that that's wrong. We should have compassion on people who have been deceived or are just ignorant. I wonder what would have happened if this Levite, when Micah came and said, I want to hire you, he said, that's not how that works, Micah. Hey, I see what you're trying to do, but Micah, remember that second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images? This is wrong. Micah, that ephod that you made right there, you're not supposed to make that. These, this is, these, are, these are specifically for the priests of God. They're only to be used in the temple. Micah, you need to get rid of these things. You need to destroy these things. That's what, that's what should have happened. And you know, what a sad thing it is that we've got people today that pretty much go into these churches. I mean, think about how many people we talk to when we're out souling who have been to church for years. And not only do they not know the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? They don't even know enough about the Bible to know that, to ask that question. Have you ever thought about that? You know how many people we talk to that when you talk to them about the concept of being saved, they don't even know what you're talking about. That's sad. It just shows how a lot of these churches have just turned into social clubs. That's all they are. People don't know how to answer the most basic questions. They don't even know to ask the questions. And I think that's a, that's a tragedy. And so this story, it's a reminder there are some things we're just not allowed to mess with. There's some things... We do not have the authority to change on. And when we try to, we are out of line. We are only pretending at that point. And that is absolutely unacceptable. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this story we have. I pray, Lord, we can uh, learn these lessons from us. Help us to uh, have enough compassion and love for people to be willing to uh, risk our reputation, Lord, to tell them the truth and uh, help us to... Uh, help these people out there. There's so many that have been deceived by fake churches, fake priests, fake gospels. Help us to uh, do whatever we have to do to get the truth to the people of this community and the world. In your name we pray. Amen.